Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has come known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. It's good to be here again. Good to be back with you. Uh, Jane and Isla and I, we were in South last week um, with the church plant there. It was great being over there. Um, great to actually see what's going on, what God is doing through the guys there at Hay Park. And, um, but it's, it's just brilliant to be back here this morning in East. Um, I just want to say from the outset, um, Jane and Isla and I, we're so thankful for you guys uh, as a church, as our family here at Village. Um, we feel very blessed by God to have such a loving, caring um, church family who, um, particularly in the last couple of weeks since um, kind of eldership stuff was announced, um, to get people who are sending such lovely, um, encouraging text messages, um, people who are praying for you. Um, it's a real um, joy and encouragement for us. So I just want to say thank you to all of you um, before we get started. We're so thankful to God for a church family like this. So let me just pray, uh, and then we're going to get going. Father God, I pray that this morning that we would just see Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred uh, to love Jesus more, uh, to see uh, Jesus Christ as the one true joy, as the, the one thing that is most precious 
in life. Um, and Lord, I pray that our lives would be transformed this morning to live for you. pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that a film crew were going to follow you for a week of your life. And they were going to watch you record everything that you did, just a normal week, as you went to work, as you socialize with friends, as you do what you do. Follow your every move, record every conversation that you had. And then in a week's time, we're going to come back here and in this massive, abnormally big screen, we're going to watch that week of your life, that normal week. I wonder what people would say that you are living for after they watched it. There was one thing that they had to pick out that summarized what your life really is centered on, what you're living for. I wonder what they would say. Maybe family, maybe serving other people, sport maybe, their job, church, their spouse or a loved one, maybe other people's approval, their own comfort, their own pleasure in life. Life's full of stuff. If you were to watch a video of, of the week of my life, a normal week in my life, you'd, you'd see that there are loads of things going on, loads of things that I'm spending my time doing, investing my time and energy in. But the question I want to ask is, what is the thing that is right at the center of it all, underpinning everything else? What is it that gives you your energy, your drive, your purpose in life? Philippians is a book that's written by a guy called Paul who says that there is one thing and one thing only that he is living his life for, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Paul's one focus, his one aim, his one purpose, to live for Jesus. Because Paul knows that living a life centered on Jesus Christ brings glory to Jesus Christ. And that is Paul's one ambition in life. Because look what he says in verse 20 and 21 of Philippians chapter one, to honor or to glorify Christ in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we were to watch a video of a week in the life of Paul, we would see that Jesus Christ is right at the center of who Paul is and what Paul does. And here in Philippians 1, Paul gives us a brilliant picture of what it looks like to live a life centered on Jesus. A great example of a life centered on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And it's my hope this morning that as we consider Paul's example, we will be able to think about what it looks like for us, whoever we are, in whatever situation we're in, what it looks like for us to live a life centered on Jesus Christ. A life that brings glory to Jesus in all that we do. As we work in our jobs, as we socialize with friends, as we get treatment in a hospital bed, as we care for our wife or husband or a loved one, as we bring up our children, as we live our lives in all that we do, in all situations, in all circumstances, what does it look like to live a life centered on Jesus Christ that brings glory to Jesus Christ. 
Well, here's the first thing that we see looking at Paul's example in Philippians chapter one. Living a life centered on Jesus Christ shows that knowing Jesus is our greatest pleasure. Knowing Jesus is our greatest pleasure. Your pleasure is your joy. It's what you delight in. It's your source of contentment in life. And this letter is one that's just saturated in joy. 16 times throughout Philippians, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. Hardly a chapter goes by when Paul isn't telling the Philippians to rejoice, to be joyful in all circumstances, in all situations. But how? How can Paul be so joyful? Because the situation that he finds himself in is far from joyful. It's dire, in fact. He's in prison under house arrest in Rome, and he's no prospect of release. In fact, the most likely outcome of his imprisonment will be his ultimate execution. Paul is literally staring death square in the face. The electric chair is being readied. The lethal injection is being primed. Yet, Paul can say twice in verse 18, I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. How can Paul be so joyful? Well, it's because his joy is not grounded in his circumstances or in the situations that he finds himself in. Rather, Paul's joy is grounded in knowing Jesus. His greatest pleasure in life is his relationship with his Savior, Jesus Christ, because he knows that that is something that can never be taken away, something that can never change. And this is what he means when he says, for me to live is Christ. Living knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus is Paul's greatest pleasure. Nothing matters more to him. He goes on in Philippians chapter 3 to say these words, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, everything rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Why is Paul willing to lose everything? His freedom in prison, his reputation, as we'll go on to see, even his very life, he is literally willing to die. Why? Why is he willing to lose it all? Well, to be found in Jesus, to be known by Jesus, because he has a deep conviction in his heart that knowing Jesus is worth infinitely more than anything else this life can offer. Nothing else compares. Nothing comes anywhere close. Now, I haven't come across too many people that don't love passing time on a long car journey with a game of, uh, would you rather? Some parents are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Would you rather? The premise of the game is really simple. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, yes, every single person in this room is going to be capable of playing this game. Uh, You've got two things. Would you rather have this or would you rather have that? You have to choose. And so let's play. I was joking with someone whenever we were coming in there. Someone, I work for Christians in Sport. I love games. And uh, someone was joking with me saying, oh, is there going to be a game? Of course there is. You know me. So let's play. Would you rather? They're going to be, uh, they're going to be a bit silly, these ones. So um, just to, uh, at the risk of anybody embarrassing themselves by saying them out loud, just say them into yourselves, okay? Um, so 
Would you rather spend the rest of your life only being able to whisper or only being able to shout? Imagine it. Would you rather always be 20 minutes early for everything or always 20 minutes late? Would you rather live the rest of your life having one eyebrow shaved off or live the rest of your life having both eyebrows shaved off? I said they were silly. Would you rather have Jesus? And that's where Paul jumps in and he says that one. I love that one. But Paul, you haven't heard the other one yet. I don't care, he says. Because whatever you're going to offer is never going to be as good as Jesus. That's Paul's perspective. Offer him anything else in life and he will always, always pick Jesus. Life with Jesus. Every time. Because Paul's delight is in knowing Jesus. His relationship with Jesus is his one true joy. Nothing is sweeter. Nothing satisfies him as deeply. Nothing makes him feel as secure as being united to Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that living a life that that shows that nothing is more precious than knowing Jesus brings glory to Jesus. I wonder how you'd finish that sentence this morning. For me to live is what? What is living all about for you? What is your life centered on? If you'd finish that sentence with something other than Christ, then I want to ask you, why is it that you think that that thing, whatever it is, is what life is all about? Let's say you were to finish that sentence, for me to live is finding happiness, finding my joy in life. Have you found it yet? I'm not just talking about something that makes you happy for a time, but have you found that thing that really gives you a joy that lasts? A joy that's deep in your heart. That circumstances and situations, no matter how bad they are, do not take away. Let's say you finished it with people, relationships, my family, my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it might be. Do people ever let you down? Do people ever leave you feeling insecure? Does your wife or your children or your boyfriend or girlfriend, do they make you feel complete? Let's say you finished it with money. For me to live is money. Does it leave you feeling deeply satisfied? Does it leave you feeling totally secure in life? Do you ever have times that you just feel like it would be great if you had some more? That would be when you're going to be really happy, when you have enough. Here's what the Bible says about finding life in Jesus. This is how the Bible describes what life is like when we come to know Jesus Christ. Because in Matthew 13, verse 44, here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven, that's life with Jesus, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, the treasure in that field, which that man found, was worth infinitely more than anything else that he had in life. Nothing else came close to the treasure which he found. And that's why he was joyfully willing to give up everything that he had to have the treasure in that field. The treasure 
of discovering life in Jesus will be worth infinitely more than anything that you've experienced in life or anything else that you're going after in life. Because knowing Jesus is life's greatest pleasure. Have you experienced what life is like with Jesus Christ? If you're someone who would finish that sentence, for me to live is with the word Christ, then here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Does your life show that Jesus Christ is your joy? That he is your joy whatever the circumstances? Does your life show that there is nothing sweeter, nothing more precious to you than knowing Jesus? Are you delighting in him this morning? If I'm going to be honest with you, the words of this famous song sum it up pretty well for me. They maybe do for you too. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. See, I know in my head that life with Jesus is the greatest pleasure I can have. But I've got a wandering heart. A heart that's so easy, easily seduced by the momentary pleasures this world has to offer. A heart that's prone to forget that what Christ offers is true and lasting joy in life. And that's why every day I need to ask God to bind my wandering heart to him. That's why I need to ask God to bury that conviction deep in my heart by his word and by his spirit that there is nothing that comes close to knowing Jesus. That's why I need my church family, my MC, to continually point me to Jesus, to take my eyes off myself and to fix them on my Savior, the source of true and lasting joy in life. Living a Christ-centered life brings glory to Jesus by showing that he is our greatest pleasure. Here's the second thing we see looking at Paul's example. Living a Christ-centered life shows that sharing Jesus with others is our greatest priority. Sharing Jesus with others is our greatest priority. If you were in prison, what would your top priority be? I've never been to prison before, but my gut instinct tells me that if I was in prison, my greatest priority would be to get myself out. I'd be pleading with my family to get the best defense lawyer money could buy. I'd be sending messages to friends on the outside, telling them to watch Prison Break and to think of something like that for me, to get me out of this prison. I'd be spending my days thinking through, how am I going to get my freedom back? That would be my top priority in prison. See if you can tell what Paul's priority is in prison. Verse 12, let's read. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Still no mention of his freedom. Let's continue. Verse 15, let's read on. <clears throat> Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Verses 12 to 18. They are basically a summary for the church in Philippi of Paul's time in prison in Rome. And all Paul talks about as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi is the gospel. The gospel being proclaimed, the gospel advancing. That is Paul's priority in prison. It's the same Christ-centered priority that he had on the outside, sharing Christ with others and rejoicing in seeing others doing the same thing. He's willing to sacrifice his freedom if it means the gospel is advancing. And how do we know? Well, he's chained to two Roman soldiers on eight-hour rotations every day. And what does Paul do? With a glint in his eye, and as the guys come in to get chained to him, he rubs his hands together and he thinks, here we go. Another opportunity to share Jesus. For Paul, this is evangelism dreamland. He has a captive audience, literally two men who cannot get away from him. And he's just given free reign to chew their ear off about Jesus, about how his life has been transformed by Jesus. Imagine being one of those Roman soldiers, chained for eight hours to the greatest evangelist the world has ever known, sharing the greatest news the world has ever heard. The poor men didn't stand a chance, did they? And through these men who Paul's been sharing the gospel with, and through other prisoners too, everyone, that's what it says in the verses, everyone has come to know that Paul is in prison for Christ. We don't know exactly how many people heard the news, but taking the imperial guard and the rest, as it says, some sources, some commentators think it may be as many as 9,000 men. 9,000 people hearing the news about why Paul is in prison, hearing about Jesus Christ. See, that is Paul's priority. Wherever he is, in whatever situation, sharing Jesus Christ is what Paul is all about. And through Paul's faithful witness, the gospel is advancing through him in prison, but also through others on the outside as well. Because verse 14 says that because Paul was being so courageous, and he's continuing to share the gospel, even in the midst of this terrible situation that he's in in prison, other believers on the outside on the streets of Rome, they are being emboldened in their faith. They are being stirred to live Christ-centered lives as well, to share Christ with others too. See, Paul's priority is never for himself. It's always for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel was more important than his own freedom. And Paul is joyfully willing to sacrifice his own freedom if it means the gospel of Jesus Christ gains greater freedom in Rome. And it wasn't just his freedom that he's willing to sacrifice for the sake of others here in the gospel. He's joyfully willing to sacrifice his reputation too. Look at verse 15 to 17. Because while he's in prison, other preachers have been sharing the good news about Jesus in the streets of Rome. Some are doing it from a good place, with good intentions, but others are sharing from a place of envy and rivalry towards Paul, looking to slander Paul, to drag his name through the muck while he's in prison. Look at verse 17. Paul says that this group of envious preachers are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. All they're doing 
is looking to kick Paul while he's down, to cause him more distress, more affliction by shaming his reputation, all for their own gain, to turn people away from Paul and to gain a bigger following for themselves. But how does Paul react? What is his priority? Is it protecting his reputation? Is it calling these guys out who are doing his good name a disservice? No. He doesn't care. In fact, verse 18, he is joyful because his priority is not what people think of him. His priority is what people think of Jesus Christ. All he cares about is that Christ is proclaimed. Whatever the motives, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I will rejoice. What a challenge for us this morning. Is my priority in life myself? My freedom, my comfort, my reputation, my glory? Or is my priority Jesus Christ and his glory? Am I happy like Paul to sacrifice my freedom for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ being heard by other people? Am I happy to make myself uncomfortable to share the good news with someone who is lost? What might it look like for you to sacrifice your freedom or your comfort or your time this week for the sake of Jesus Christ and his glory? To serve someone in our church who is struggling in their faith or is struggling to find their joy in the circumstances they're in. What does it look like for you to speak words of life to someone who is lost and far from Jesus Christ? And here's the challenge for us as a church. Would we be happy to sacrifice our reputation, our good name, for the good name of Jesus Christ? In this place, on this street, in Belfast. You see, living a Christ-centered life brings glory to Jesus Christ by showing that sharing the good news about him is our greatest priority. That is what our life is all about. And finally, we see from Paul's example, living a Christ-centered life shows that seeing Jesus is our greatest prospect. Seeing Jesus is our greatest prospect. We live our lives looking forward to things, don't we? We live with these life prospects. Things we see happening in the future or things we would love to see happening or things we plan that will happen in our future. And I wonder what some of the prospects are for you for the next year of your life. Maybe it's the prospect of getting married. Or maybe it's the prospect of having a baby, starting a family. Maybe the prospect of finding a new home, of starting a new job somewhere, of starting university. Maybe the prospect of getting those exams out in the way. I don't know what some of the prospects are for you in your life in this next year, but what I do know is there is one prospect in life which is certain for every single person in this room. Something that I can say with absolute certainty from the front here that will happen to everyone. And that is that we all live with the prospect of one day dying. A sure and certain prospect for every single person who's before me today, for me, 
for every single person in this city, for every single person who lives in our world, we all face the prospect of death. And that shouldn't shock you because death is something that is unavoidable. It's something inescapable. It is something inevitable for all of us. And my aim in saying this is not to make you feel uncomfortable or to make you squirm in your seat, although you may be doing that. It's not to come across as insensitive. Because if, like me, you've sat beside the bed of a loved one as they breathed their last, or you've stood staring at the coffin of a 25-year-old friend, then you will know, like me, that death is not something to talk lightly about. It's not something to laugh in the face of. Because I know as well as you that death is painful. The death of someone we love or we care for has a real sting. And it's in those moments when death looks us straight in the eye that we do not feel that death is a pleasant prospect. Unless, unless you believe that death is not the end. Because here's what Paul says about the prospect of death in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die will be better. Not just better, but far better. Because he goes on to say in verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. That is continuing to live in the flesh for Christ, to continue to encourage the church, to share Christ with other people, or to die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. They're incredible words, aren't they? To our friends, a statement like this will be total madness. To our work colleagues, this will be absolute folly. To people in Belfast who live on this street, this will be the chat of someone who has lost their mind. And maybe you sit listening to this this morning, and this just seems ridiculous to you, how could anyone say that the day of death will be better than any day of your life? Death can only begin if you have something worth dying for. Something that you're looking forward to in death that you know will be better than anything this life has to offer. And for Paul, that is seeing Jesus, seeing his Savior, because he knows that when he sees Jesus Christ, when he has that moment in glory of gazing upon his Savior, he will know that everything that he has endured, every suffering that he has had to go through, every day in that prison cell, he will know that it has all been worth it. This is the hope of a Christ-centered life, that one day, if we are in Christ, we will see Christ. And it's on that day and on that moment when we gaze upon our Savior, our joy, the Bible promises that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And it's on that day that every pain, every suffering, every sorrow that we have experienced in this life will be forgotten and we will be replaced with rejoicing forever. It's on that day that our weak and broken and weary bodies will be made new Death is real. Death is painful. But death doesn't have to be final. 
Monty Williams is the assistant coach of the NBA basketball team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And two years ago, on the 10th of February, 2016, Monty's wife, Ingrid, died in a head-on collision with another car. Ingrid was a Christian, Monty is too. And at her funeral, Monty gave a speech, and this was part of what he said. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I was to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain, but it will work out because God causes all things to work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean we're not going to have tough times. But what we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every day of her life. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife, but God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And of that, I am so envious. We didn't lose my wife. When you lose something, you can't find it but I know exactly where my wife is. How can Paul say death is gain? How can Monty Williams say that he's envious of his wife who's just died because she is where we all need to be? Well, it's because they're both living with the prospect that death is not the end. They're both living knowing that through Jesus Christ, death has been defeated. Through Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us, all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, all those who know Christ as their savior are known by Christ and are saved by Christ. Saved from the sting of death, saved from the hopelessness of the grave and given true life. Life that lasts forever in eternity. For all those who are in Christ Death is not a tragedy. Death is a triumph. Because in death, we will know what it means to have life, real life, true life, life forever in eternity. D.L. Moody, a well-known preacher, said this about the prospect of death. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am right now. Someday, someone will read in the papers that you, whoever you are, of wherever you're from, is dead. The question is, will you be more alive in that moment than you are right now? Death doesn't have to be the end because through Jesus Christ, death has been defeated. And as the band are going to come back up now, and as we come to the table, as we come to take communion together, to remember and reflect on what Jesus Christ has done, if you're a Christian this morning, will you take time as you come forward to the table and as you think about Jesus Christ's body being broken for you, his blood 
being shed for you? Will you remember what Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection has secured for you? Something that is sure and certain, a prospect that cannot be taken away. One day you will see Jesus Christ, your Savior, your joy. Your eyes will gaze upon your Savior. Let that prospect of one day seeing Jesus just thrill your heart this morning. And if you're someone who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus Christ, as you watch others come up for communion, as you stay in your seat and sing this final song together, will you believe that through Christ's death and resurrection, you can have that same prospect You can know that death is not the end. That death is just the beginning of life. True life. Life forever. Life the way it was meant to be. You can experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Will you put your trust in him this morning? Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing our final song. There are going to be two sides for us to come for communion. Over on this side here and the other side. Come together come and joyfully remember what Jesus Christ has given for us, the life that you have because of him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the reminder of the life that you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross for us, through the forgiveness of sins that he offers if we put our trust in him. Lord, we thank you that through his resurrection that him coming back to life, defeating death, Lord, we can know life too. Life now, but one day life. One day, Lord, we have the prospect of knowing life in all of its fullness. Life the way it was meant to be. Life with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven forever. Lord, I pray that our lives would be centered on Jesus Christ that we would know that there is nothing sweeter, nothing more precious to us than knowing Jesus. Lord, that we would delight in sharing Jesus with other people, that that would be our greatest priority. And Lord, that we will live knowing that one day we will see Jesus if we are in Jesus. Lord, thank you for our time in your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that this will shape our lives and it will thrill our hearts as we live for you. Amen.